I'm Chalice Media Group publisher Brad Lyons. Chalice is proud to support inspiring authors like Shonda Jha, who encourage us to discover new ways each of us can change our world every day. Check out our library of social justice and anti-racism titles at chalicemedia.org. Welcome to Their Ancestors' Wildest Dreams, a podcast on ancestors and activism. I'm your host, Shonda Ja, community organizer, anti-oppression consultant, and author of Rebels, Despots, and Saints, The Ancestors Who Free Us, and The Ancestors We Need to Free. Some of us are our ancestors' wildest dreams. Some of us hope not to disappoint our ancestors. And some of us are actively working to resist a harmful legacy our ancestors left for us. And all those journeys with ancestors matter. In each episode of this show, you get to meet one of my favorite activists and learn about their journey with ancestors. Today's activist is Katie Valentine, a longtime friend who, in her own words, assists everyday Christians connect to the metaphysical universe to shift from guilt to joy. I'm really excited about Katie being on the show for two reasons. One, She comes at how we relate to ancestors in a very different way than I do, so I learned a lot. And two, she's co-hosting the Ancestors Summit with me, May 11th through 13th, which is a virtual summit you don't want to miss. Definitely go to shondajaw.com for the link to learn more. Katie, thank you so much for making the time to be here. I'm going to just jump straight in and ask you the very big first question, which is... Do it. (laughs) Who are you in the world? (laughs) And what's the activism that is lighting you up these days? Uh, Hey, everyone. So my name is Katie Valentine, and uh, I am a spiritual teacher and coach. And so I primarily I help Christians connect to metaphysical practices, things like chakras and intuition and dreams and ancestors, uh, actually. Uh, And I also help entrepreneurs uh, light up their own soul as they're serving others. So my activism, I would say, is helping people work through all of the barriers that we put up that keep us from experiencing the divine as fully as we could and gender justice. I would say both. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. both. Uh, I do, I do one professionally. I do one on kind of in my, on the, on the side. Although to be fair, even your book was about gender justice. It is. Yes. Yes. My, and I, I'm a scholar as well. So my scholarship tends to revolve around gender, um, gender justice. I'm, I'm writing something right now on transgender justice and the New Testament. And actually ancestors make just a little bit of an appearance in that article. I'm pretty excited about that. I can't to wait for finished. it to come out. Yes. <laughs> Me, me too. So, I've been waiting on that <laughs> one for months. <laughs> and I got to say, I hadn't even thought about it until just now. But one of the reasons I'm delighted you're on the show is a lot of the folks I work with on my anti-oppression uh, work are often asking me about individual coaching. And it's not something I do. So I'm glad that uh, some folks are going to get connected to you through oh, this. Oh, absolutely. I would love to work with those entrepreneurs. Yes. The more... Yep. The more ethical entrepreneurs there are in the world, just the better, the better, the better. Uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not coaching Walmart. 
God, God bless you. If you, if you work at Walmart, that's fine. But yeah, I, I love helping individuals get in touch with their own divinity so that they can shine that out into the world. That's, that's absolutely what it's about. That's perfect. So let me ask, where did your journey with ancestors begin? How did that show up in your life? So this showed up, I would say, when I was little, I was interested. And my grandmother has always been interested in her genealogy. So it showed up first as genealogy work. And this was way before the days when there was an Ancestry.com and a Google or anything like that. This, this involved going to your local library and getting seasick from all the microfilm that you had to sort through. And she, she was really interested. I mean, I didn't know what I was doing. I just kind of attended her going to these little meetings and found out a little bit here or there. Also, when I was alive, I had several great-grandparents who were still living. And two of my great-grandmothers lived until I was 17 or 18. And so I actually, I had this real connection with them. Um, one was nice, one was mean. <laughs> so I saw <laughs> ele somewhat elevated ancestors and somewhat unelevated ancestors, even right? while they were still alive. Um, and then in when I was a junior in high school, uh, shout out to Caddo Magnet High School in Shreveport, Louisiana, we had this year-long horrific project to do our genealogy. And it oh was gosh. horrible. It was horrible because we all crammed it into two weeks and we were supposed to spend, you know, eight months <laughs> on this thing. <laughs> and so it involved the weekends at the library. Well, I finally found, I, I think the teacher told us at the end of the semester, at the end of the year, the whole point of the project was to learn how to use primary sources. Oh, great. Which seems very reasonable. But of course, I wasn't connecting with it in that way. You know, we just thought it was vaguely interesting or vaguely not interesting to learn about our ancestry. So I dug into my ancestry there. I'm from Louisiana. So I found some ancestors. Thankfully, other people had done a lot of my genealogy before me. So there were some books and um, other records that I could just verify. And I found one ancestor who came from France and some others who had migrated through like Tennessee and ended up in Louisiana. And it, that was interesting. That was all on my maternal side. And on my paternal side, I found very little. I couldn't get past a, like a great grandfather, I think, or maybe, hmm. yeah, a great grandfather. And what's interesting about that is that I am the youngest of a youngest of a youngest of a youngest. And we have wow. this one object that's been passed down from the civil war in the United States onward to us. And so I'll be the recipient of that. Um, at some point when my blessed father is no longer uh, wanting to take care of that or when he has right. died. And so because I'm the youngest of a youngest, many of those people had their children when they were like 50. Mm -hmm. And so like no one knew their grandparents. Right. Like my father didn't know his grandparents at all. They were all dead by the time he was either born or when he was really, really little. Um, so we just don't have great records there. Wow. So that was so the beginning gonna... of the surface level ancestors. Right. Well, I was going to ask, as you've delved deeper into that, and it feels like it is very much connected with your current work, um, what are some of the challenges you've come up with, come up against as you've engaged those stories of ancestors? And obviously, kind of hitting roadblocks is certainly a challenge, but sometimes discovering the stories also creates its own challenges. <laughs> uh, you know, I think there's not really that many people in my family who are terribly interested. I would say it's my grandmother and I, like no one else particularly cares, which is fine. And so there's quite a bit of den either denial or disinterest in my mm. extended family of origin, which is now quite large. I have a, t a ton of nephews, a ton of great nieces and nephews now. 
and uh, they don't, I don't think they really care that much. So if there's difficult stories, I'm the only one, as far as I know, who is caring to work through those, um, which is fine. They're on the, you know, I think healing when we heal our ancestral line, it goes to all directions. I don't get to control that. So they all benefit mm-hmm. from all the hard stories that I get to encounter. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. You're doing it for um, them, the ungrateful doing bastards. It for them. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, part of that's very comforting because I don't have children and don't plan to have any um, uh, of my own. And so I, I do love the fact that my nieces and nephews get to benefit from this work. And so it was hysterical, though, a few, about a year and a half ago, I was visiting with one of my great nieces. She was about seven. She was admiring this ring that I had that my Aunt Faye gave to me before she died. And my aunt just wrote this really sweet note. I didn't even know her that well, but we connected. We we had a really deep connection. And I just, and it's this big, huge ruby. It's not very valuable, but it's just a big, it's noticeable. It's a noticeable ring. And my little great niece was admiring it and talking about it. And I said, well, you know, granddaddy, yes. Okay, well, this was granddaddy's sister and she was our aunt and she died before you were born. And we talked about it. And she said, can I have it when you're dead? <laughs> I said, sure, kid, you can put it in my will. So savvy though. So maybe she'll be interested one day. You never know. Uh, but I would say the biggest challenge actually is I had done some of the surface work of who are these ancestors? Mm-hmm. And if I cared or not, you know, I mean, sometimes it's just a name on a piece of paper and yeah. there, there was no story kind of stories. attached to that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not a lot of stories attached to that. And then recently, I well, about a year and a half ago, I moved to Ireland. And so I'm American living in Ireland. Some of my ancestors are from here. Um, and then I began shamanic training. And in, the, in shamanic training, one does a lot of ancestors work and mm-hmm. does some work to heal ancestors. And so in, in our first kind of journey doing some ancestral work, the point of the journey, the goal of the journey was to send healing energy to our ancestors. And I got to this point of the journey and I could just feel my anxiety, my anger mounting. And I thought, ah, sending anything to any of these people, they don't deserve it. And uh, every, every trauma or family dysfunction is a result of them not doing their healing work while they were alive. And I'm just not participating in this. And I was, I was really just, I was just angry at, I didn't even know I was angry at them until that moment in time. And the only thing I could really do was look in my in my kind of spirit's eye for Aunt Faye, who gave me that ruby ring. I said, okay, yeah. I'm not mad at you. We're good. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to yeah. send this healing energy to you and you figure out what to do with the rest of it. Because mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not going to be involved. <laughs> so as soon as we finished the meditation, I just raised my hand. I said, I'm too pissed off at them. Yeah. Um, to do this. And so I actually drove home that night. I didn't stay the night in this town where I usually do for these trainings. I drove home uh, way out of the way because I just felt like I needed to be in my house surrounded by some of my ritual tools. And so I got here and I do have mediumship training too a little bit. And so I, I had a conversation with those ancestors that I knew um, mm-hmm. who had gone on, most of whom I had really good relationships with. So I didn't know yeah. why I was so angry at them. Right. And I think part of what I was angry at is this thing that we get told a lot was that they did the best they can. And that's just frankly, not always true. Yeah. Some ancestors don't do the best they can. Some are really shitty. Yeah. And they're, they're told explicitly 
could you do this? And they don't do it. They, they know better. Yes. They know and they still chose better. Mm-hmm. And they still chose to do things really poorly. And yeah. I couldn't tell you any one specific thing that any of these ancestors did. I could, but I could yeah. feel that there was some deep need for acknowledgement. Yeah. I think they're on my part. And so I went through every single one that I could think of. And I said, did you do the best thing that you could? And some yeah. of them said, I really did. And then some of them were like, yeah. Yeah, I could have done better. And so that just that acknowledgement was really helpful for me. So that's the current challenge. That's the yeah. current well, challenge. And it's interesting because it raises this question. Uh, when Patricia was on the show, she talked about uh, the way the ancestors have their own journeys, you know, beyond this realm, oh, right? Yeah, There's definitely. We were joking about, um, she and I went, uh, went on a trip, like a hiking trip, just after Queen Elizabeth had died. And Patricia was like, bunch of my ancestors are waiting at whatever, you know, whatever way station she's showing up right. at and being like, okay, your work begins now because you really screwed it up back there. Oh, right. Uh, <laughs> I love that idea of like the colonized people uh, greeting Queen Elizabeth and being like, all right, now you got to work on fixing some of that stuff There's, in yourself, right? right? Yeah, and you have all of eternity mm-hmm. to do this. So you have a mm-hmm. long time to work on this. So, yeah. But I do uh, like the idea of some ancestors being evolved enough to be like, we've worked through our stuff enough that we'll show up and work with you on this. Um, but it's a long journey, right? It's a it's a journey. And, and I want to sort of affirm for listeners that if you feel some anxiety, some angst, and you don't know why, I'm right there with you. And that's perfectly okay. Um, and, and to trust that anxiety is coming from a very real place mm-hmm. and deserves to be addressed as as part of your journey. And so since then, I have done several healing journeys and we've come to a much better place. Wow. And they have a little place wow. on my, you know, a little, uh, they have a little nook on the wall now where I can just gently say hi as we're coming into good relationship. It's really interesting because I think some of the earliest... Um ancestor work I invited other people into uh, one of the other guests on the show uh, KG and I had done some work together and I invited her to practice the meta prayer the mm. traditional Buddhist prayer um, and it has a certain amount of flexibility in it that you can you know direct it at the whole universe and you can bring it back to the world, you can engage political leaders, which was hard work to do in, oh. uh, we were doing that work, you know, post 2016. Uh, it was really hard to do the, yeah, it sounds hard. may you, yeah. May you yeah, know all peace. living things have. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and one of the areas we decided to focus on was uh, relatives, relatives who had passed relatives who had done harm. Um, and to have visual images of them and invite peace into their beings was hard work, right? Um, yeah. It was important work. Um, and so sometimes that work is also, some of the work is connecting with ancestors to heal ourselves. Sometimes our work is healing ancestors, right? You said something about how uh, the healing goes in all directions. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we don't get to control that, I don't think. Right. That's That's not up to us. And... All, at least my understanding right now, and I'm certainly open to this changing, is that I can provide some opportunities for mm-hmm. ancestors to enter into healing spaces. Obviously, I can't make them do it, and that would not right. be, I uh, can't impose my will upon them. 
Why would it be different in that arena than anywhere else? We can't anywhere else. We can't. We can't change anyone but ourselves is the old saying, right? Yeah, exactly. And, uh, but I, I can provide a better opportunity Mm -hmm. for, for that healing to take place. And in this strange world of dimensions and parallel universes, I think we don't actually know what happens when that healing takes place. Mm -hmm. We don't know what we then cease to remember. Mm hmm. We don't know what realities are actually being changed. Hmm. And so there's, I think there's an important part of memory here that we remember. And, and ritually, we, we remember our ancestors, even if we don't have the cognizant memories, we're holding those memories. Yeah. And then we don't actually, in that healing process, who knows what's happening, what is shifting. And I find that alarming and also comforting at the same time. <laughs> That's absolutely true. Yeah. Um, so I wonder it as we as we keep thinking about the ways we engage our ancestors and what it creates for us have you found any connections with ancestors to be comforting or encouraging are there stories of ancestors that have been helpful to you in your own journey to create a better world yeah this the stories in my family of my actual biological ancestors are fairly absent. Like I can tell you stories about grandparents, maybe, maybe some great grandparents beyond that. I have very, very few. Mm-hmm. We don't have an immigration story. As far as I know, um, we don't have this kind of origin story. Right. I, I think, or at least not as far as I know, other than, you know, what a census record mm-hmm. may say. Mm-hmm. I, I did find out one humorous story that yeah. some like, let's say one trail of ancestors that came through Tennessee were neighbors with Jack Nolichucky, Jack, Jack, John, John Nolichucky, Jack Severe, who created the state of Franklin right after the oh, Revolutionary yes. War. <laughs> so we were best friends with that guy. Wow. Some branch of my ancestors, but that doesn't <laughs> tell me much about them. Right. Right. It tells me an interesting thing about them. So right. I think, The comforting things for me are in my own meditations and my own journeys. Mm -hmm. I have an ancestress who shows up sometimes to provide some protection and some guardianship for me. Mm -hmm. I know nothing about her. Nothing about her. She's not yet revealed that to me. I don't think I've quite earned that yet in in these journeys. Um, But I do know from um, Ancestry.com, 1% of my ancestry is from the Cameroon big swath of like Cameroonian ancestry in Africa. And I believe that she is from there. Mm. And she provides the kind of safeguard for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm very mm-hmm. grateful to her. And yeah. so in that sense, I don't know her story yet. Yeah. Yet. yeah. Uh, but I am grateful to her because she has shown up consistently in different forms in a variety of ways as I've been doing this work. I love that. I wonder whether you've had much experience, you know, we we were talking about sometimes the trail uh, disappears and we don't have the technical information about biological ancestors. You're definitely introducing us to ways to connect with ancestors, even if we don't yet know who they are. Have you found any encouragement or connection with ancestors who aren't necessarily biological? Oh, a thousand percent. And I think that's probably the way I actually entered into this before connecting with uh, kinship 
ancestors. Mm-hmm. Um, so from my, I come from a, tri- a Christian tradition where um, the Catholic side of me that I grew up going to Catholic school really connected with saints. And so I've always loved stories about saints. Uh, I've always loved stories about kind of heroes, sheroes around the world, whether or not they were in the Christian tradition or not, and felt some kinship with them. And so about 15 years ago, I, I developed a fondness for Bridget, for St. Bridget in Ireland. Mm-hmm. And in some ways that developing relationship actually brought me to Ireland. It was she who was prompting some of that move through all the red tape and bureaucracy and, and getting here. Um, and she showed up in very sort of subtle and, and very non-subtle ways over, over those years. And so I definitely see her as a spiritual ancestor. And yeah. then preceding the Saint Bridget is the goddess Bridget. And so mm-hmm. as a spiritual ancestor, not sure I would use the word ancestor necessarily, but certainly in the field of the goddess of my ancestors. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I was wondering if the journey to Ireland had been in any way shaped by ancestors, whether biological or or otherwise. Or or yeah, I mean I don't I don't think I would have said that maybe mm-hmm. 5 years ago when we were planning the move, I wouldn't have framed it that way, but yeah. now I think I I would. Um and so that was there was a call to the land here. Yeah. And a, a a reason that's still unfolding um, of why to be here. And I think some of that connection with the land and even seeing the land and the earth as ancestor. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have thoughts on that? Journey. Yeah. Um, so, some. Uh, so I don't know how scientific this is, but I mean, in some ways, we're all earth creatures. Mm hmm. So in some ways, I'm not that different from the rocks or the water or the the soil. And we're all made from the same stardust that somehow coalesced this thing we call planet Earth. And so in that way, especially if we, our ancestors literally became part of the Earth when they were buried or burned as well. And so, yeah, you know, in that way, literally, there's a connection there, um, a full sort of circle of life. And I think in other ways, the earth has a lot to teach us when we Mm -hmm. can connect into the spirituality of the land that we reside upon. Yeah. So in that way, the earth has been around a whole lot longer than me in this incarnation. And so in that way, I see the earth as a whole, I guess, as an ancestor. And one, I think that has a personality. Mm Mm-hmm. And wisdom, but yeah. it's kind of up to me to be able to tap into that, to learn how to do that, which is definitely a learning curve. So, and I'd yeah. be totally curious about your thoughts on that too, not to yeah, pin a question no, really... to the host, but. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's interesting because I found myself thinking about um, a lot of people have had, who have had the privilege of going to Iona uh, talk yeah. about how it's one of the places they call one of the thin places. Um, where the, where the barrier between, or the, yeah, the barrier between this plane and the next is, uh, is easier to uh, cross through. Right. Um, the thing that I was fascinated about when I went to Iona was it didn't have fossils. Right. Because it is such an ancient piece of land that it precedes 
that kind of, you know, creaturely existence that it, it was formed before trilobites or dinosaurs or whatever. Right. Um, I think that's fascinating. And I wonder what it contributes to people's connection to the sacred, that it's also connecting to the most ancient of ancients on this planet. I, I was in Iona almost a year ago and Mm -hmm. I was pretty sick while I was there. I had uh, bronchitis. I don't know what I had. I had some horrible coughing, hacking thing that probably kept my neighbors up at night when I was on this <laughs> retreat. And but I got, I was kind of sick when I got there, and I got really sick while I was there. But it wasn't COVID. Mm, and so yeah. some of the more robust hikes, I just couldn't go on. No. So the retreat leader very kindly brought me back a piece of nice rock, and that's G N E I S S from the beach. I always thought it was nice. I'm glad to know. Maybe it is. I don't know. Nice, nice. Anyway, it is a nice rock. But uh, she brought me back one of those. And uh, she just said, you know, this is one of the oldest rocks on on Earth. And it's one of the ones that I keep in my pocket most days. Yeah. So I have three, yeah. three little stones that I carry with me if I have on pocket-worthy clothes. I love it. Yeah. I'm about to go to really... India and I'm planning on making a whole bunch of shalwar kameez, all of which I want to add pockets to. Oh, yes. I'm very excited. That is we need a whole pockets. other conversation. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We need pockets. I do not understand yeah. why we haven't built pockets into uh, everybody's life. Everyone's um, life, yes. Speaking of gender justice, justice issues. issues. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, um, so I, I'm wondering, you know, I think we we have ancestors who can bring healing, encouragement, nudging, guidance and we have ancestors who have done harm who are still not healed and therefore can't be healing but i wonder if you've ever had experiences of ancestors who got things wrong but that actually was important for you to know so that you could choose a different path yeah well i'm fairly confident you know some of my ancestors were probably you know slave owning jerks just Fair given enough. where I'm from and my my cultural background. So do I know that about them? No. Were they worse jerks than anyone else kind of around? Probably not, but who knows? I don't know. Um, <laughs> and so it, it definitely, though, I have, an, I mean, my grandfather, my, my mother's father, um, he died when I was 13, I think. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't recall him ever saying anything nice, you know, yeah. to anyone, right? I, I yeah. just never witnessed that. And certainly as a, a, you know, the, the idea of like a grandfather who would give you cookies and spoil you. I'm like, whose grandfather is that? That's not my grandfather. Um, <laughs> certainly not my experience. My other grandfather probably was like that, but he died when I was six. Um, yeah. And so the, the sort of story about him, you know, certainly gets revised. I I'm sure within the family. Um, but as an adult able to recognize why he, what happened or maybe Mm. postulate what happened Mm -hmm. that he was like this. I don't Mm -hmm. think he ever, as far as I could tell, and I, you know, I was barely a teenager when he died. So I don't know for sure. Um, But he didn't do the work or didn't have access to the tools to do the work while he was alive. Yeah. So, yeah. So in a, in a, I don't have fond feelings towards him or I didn't. So in a, in a meditation, um, 
I just asked Spirit to show me what was he like when he was happy? There had to have been a point mm. in his life when he was happy. Mm-hmm. And I kind of got a visual of him at like the ages 16, 17, 18, when he was more youthful, when he had more uh, more hopes and dreams and could could maybe relate in a different way. I was trying to think what what did my grandmother see in him that she fell in love and she ran, they ran away and eloped. Wow. And this like story, you know, this whole story, this kind of World War II story. And I think there's something about him that must have been really captivating. So Mm -hmm. I don't know that it's the story. I don't have the story. Yeah. Um, Nor does anyone particularly want to relive that. Right. (laughs) Story to tell me um, in in that kind of way. But so you have his midrash. Yeah, I guess that's right. I have his midrash and uh, I can create some of that story about him and use my own sort of intuition to determine what what was going on there. And I don't know the specifics, but I think when he comes back around, mm-hmm. you know, next incarnation, he might be able to choose to do it a little differently. Yeah. And it's my... Yeah. You know, it's my providing some healing space for him, among other, you know, whatever's happening mm-hmm. over there on the other side. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, that can maybe offer him some opportunity to do some healing now so that he can come back around and maybe do things a little bit differently. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really appreciate that. Um, there's, I wish I could credit this. It might be the Indian feminist uh, Instagram account, but I can't remember exactly where I saw it. It was, it was specifically for Indian American young adults who were dealing with, uh, really significant disconnects with their parents. And it was saying, you got to realize that, you know, we had grandparents for me, a father actually, but like for most of the people following the account, we had grandparents who went through partition, which is, was one of the most trauma-inducing experiences you could imagine. A million people died. Several million people were displaced. It was a violent and terrifying and unstable time. And they were never allowed to talk about it. Certainly not as trauma, but they rarely talked about it at all. Um, And they carried that within them and they developed unhealthy coping mechanisms that manifested in violence or alcoholism or all sorts of things. And as well as reinforcing a lot of uh gendered violence because men who didn't feel like they had control took it out on the people they could get away with taking it out on and the fact that that shows up across generations because we don't have the tool of being able to talk about things being able to figure out what they're doing to us um has done damage over these generations and the invitation wasn't to say that's why they're horrible the invitation was to say that's why they could only show up in a limited way. Yeah. And isn't it, in in some instances, isn't it amazing they did as well as they did given the tools that they did not have that we do? Right. Um, certainly not in every instance. And it wasn't excusing uh, violence or harm that people caused. But I think there was something interesting about looking back at generations prior to us that we didn't even know necessarily And what they were carrying that we don't always, uh, we aren't always aware of. Uh, Right. And I think in some ways that can be encouraging to me to say, right, that's why I want to create a different container for the people around me now. Yeah. And 
I'm just reflecting on your question, I think, a little more. Like, are there stories from my ancestors that I, you know, maybe did bad things I can learn from? I'm just so aware of the tendency in the United States for people of European descent to not have some of those stories. Unless unless you're like a second or third generation yeah. and, you know, my people came from Italy and that's a really important identity marker. For a yeah. lot of us, we don't have those important identity markers anymore. Yeah. And I certainly have heard you talk about this, right? Part of white the cost of whiteness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I think what's interesting is being in Ireland, people have a very different sense of being Irish. Yep. And it's a fairly multicultural place here as part of yeah. the EU and lots of immigration. Yeah. But the the and and those people come here with their own stories and their mm-hmm. own identities, right? That are deeply rooted. But people here, when they talk about what 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 we call the Irish famine, but over here it's called the hunger. Yeah. It is not an event of the past. Right. It is a living memory that has been carried on. Yeah. For 175 years right and so that awareness i i think has an impact on how we can maybe how um, those in the united states or in north america can begin to think about identity and ancestry in a different way that it is um literally we whitewash it Mm -hmm. and i think that does a disservice yeah to us. And so when there's absence of information, mm-hmm. we can dive into, we can still dive into our ancestry. We just have to have different tools and techniques to do it, which is what I love to teach people. Yes, absolutely. And not all of the things we're going to discover are going to be uh, glorious and they're still important. You know, uh, my mother was just talking uh, about what it means to be a Campbell. We're from clan with a C, Campbell, um, on my Scottish side. And my mother said she visited Glencoe on her last trip to Scotland. Uh, Glencoe is most famous for uh, the historic event known as the Massacre of Glencoe. Oh my. (laughs) There are signs on hotels to this day that say, no dogs, no beggars, no Campbells. Oh, wow. Um, and it's interesting because we were on the right side of history. Uh, I think we were standing up against the English. You'll have to forgive me. I don't remember all the details, but we violated hospitality. Mm-hmm. We were invited. If you've seen, oh, you've read, uh, I was like, you pulled a game of Thrones. Yep. You've you read, yeah, Wedding. you've read, <laughs> yep. You've read a song of ice and fire. Um, and I think, you know, uh, George R. R. Martin borrowed a whole bunch from British history. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes I think the Northerners are the Scots. Sometimes I think the people beyond the wall are actually the Scots because they were always, dis- we were always described as heathens. Um, but in this particular instance, I think the Red Wedding was actually the Battle of Glencoe, um, where we accepted hospitality. We took bread, we took, you know, and, and then we slaughtered them. Wow. And I actually think it's important that the Campbells tell that story, sometimes defensively, but with an awareness that it didn't matter whether we were on the right side of the battle, we had violated something that was sacrosanct to our culture and that that's something not to forget. 
Um, so I'm really grateful to know stories like that, even when my people were on the wrong side of them, because it reminds yeah. me how to function in a different way, how to heal as best I can that historic wrong. Yeah. And, you know, just thinking of, I, um, I know a lot of this is kind of him as, you know, zero surprise. Sorry, I'm preaching to the choir here, but there's a lot of there's a lot of white people in the United States who are like, oh, I'm tired of apologizing for slavery. Right. Literally, no one has ever asked me to apologize for slavery. Right. But acknowledging deep harm mm -hmm. and recognizing that that is in the present as much as in the past. Yep. You know, it's fairly crucial. Yeah. And so that that layer of defensiveness. Yeah. I think if we can begin ancestors can maybe help us erode all those layers of defensiveness and and yep. for to stop saying this is a thing of the past because obviously it's not. Right. Um because there's still harm in the present. And so right. it, you know in that sense I think all we're we're all I don't want to say called to do the ancestor work but um that ancestor work can help us get there a lot faster. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember that quote. Um, nope, it's gone. The past isn't... Sorry, it's not coming to me. Um, anyhow, yeah, I think... I think it is important for us to be aware that uh, the past doesn't live in a box tucked away right. somewhere. We, we don't get to start things ex nihilo. We don't get to start things as if there's nothing preceding us. We're inheritors of that, uh, whether we, and we didn't choose it, uh, but it's what we got uh, and figuring out what yeah. to do with it, I think is important. And we didn't choose it except maybe we mm -hmm. did. Right. Like before, uh -huh. you know, I do think there's some something to before we incarnated, right. we kind of do uh, you know, if they're if, if all these memories and stuff are correct, that maybe we do choose mm. where we're born and 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 some of our story because we need to have a particular experience. And please, yeah. um, I, I don't want anyone to hear me say and I don't want to say we're choosing abuse or anything like that. I don't think that's true. Yeah. That's, that's never the case. That's a consequence right. of these broken systems. Right. Um, but. You know, if we're if we're called to do something hard with our ancestry, maybe we made a deal before we were born to do that. Yep. And I don't want to come back and have to do it again. I want to do it this time. Right. <laughs> so I want a new, easier challenge next time. Which, interestingly which is enough, is the theme of the Indigo Girls song Galileo. Oh, right. Uh, yes, actually. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, and, and, you know, I, was, I hadn't really thought about this until just now, but I'm also, I'm a New Testament scholar. I mean, I read yeah. and decipher 2,000 year old, yep. you know, 1800 year old texts because they're in the present. Exactly. Right. I don't do them because they're, I don't read them because they're artifacts. I read them right. and interpret them because they still have meaning. Yes. So we're always. And they still shape the world. They mm -hmm. still shape the world. And so in mm -hmm. that way, I want them to shape the world in, in positive and in truthful ways. Yeah. So in that sense, I mean, I think even that bizarre journey that I've been on to become the scholar is yes. doing ancestor work. And 100%. yeah, at the beginning, I referenced the the paper I'm currently tidying up right now uh, for, for a book. 
on the transfiguration. So those who are, if you're familiar with the story of the transfiguration of Jesus in the New Testament, um, Jesus goes on this mountainside and he has Peter, James, and John, the kind of three big disciples with him. And while he's on the mountain, who appears to him but Moses and Elijah, these ancestors from the Hebrew Bible, these spiritual ancestors, maybe literal ancestors, who knows, of Jesus. And they have a conversation that we're not privy to. Yeah. On the mountain. And it's my theory yeah. that Jesus actually undergoes a gender transition. Yay! While on the mountain to experience the fullness of, of the human experience. And so even in that sense, though, we see the ancestors are, in, at least in my theory, are leading Jesus to all the work, um, all, the, all the work of healing that he's yeah. working to bring about in this context of of enslavement and injustice and oppression and of colonization. It's interesting. Cause I think, um, and you use this term in much more formal and correct ways than I do, but I think about uh, that notion of hermeneutics yeah. and the way in which we bring a lens, a contemporary lens to things that came before. And that lens matters as much as the historic event. Um, right. And the reason I mentioned that is I find myself thinking about, uh, as we're having this conversation, um, uh, you know, I have Jewish friends who engage in Passover seders and Passover seders have existed for hundreds of years. Um, I wouldn't, I think we t have a tendency to say thousands of years and I'm not a hundred percent sure that's actually true, but it's know, been, but they've been yeah. around for a, yeah, while. a while. Yeah. And they have evolved over the years and, and, you know, Passover is about, um, the the story of uh the jewish people's liberation from enslavement in egypt right right um and even over the course of my lifetime i have watched things be added to it mm, that right. make it relevant to this moment so you know there often these days i go to a seder and there will be the story of how the angels celebrate um, the Jewish people making it through this, the Red Sea and God says to them, why are you celebrating? My Egyptian children were decimated. Mm -hmm. So he, even though in theory, God created the liberation, God grieved the harm that came to people in the process of the liberation. Right. And so the Passover Seder now has this what are the plagues that we face now? What are the things we are called? Who is enslaved now? What is it we are called to do to continue liberation and reduce harm? There's also sometimes these days, and it's only been a 30-year-old tradition that's only now making its way into uh, regular practice, the orange that shows up on mm -hmm. Passover Seder plates um, that is symbolic of the role of women, right? Um, oh, yeah. So... Apparently, the story goes that uh, a woman wanted to preside over uh, a, uh, a Seder, a Passover Seder, and one of the male rabbis said, a woman will preside over a Passover Seder when leavened bread shows up on the Seder plate. And it was a little too much uh, to yeah. actually put leavened bread leavened on bread, the Seder right. plate. Uh, they So I think they tried it the first time and they were like, nope, too much even for us. So the orange came to symbolize uh, women's place. In oh, the Seder. So I love that there's this constant and and who they hearken to is Miriam. Miriam was yeah. part of that original 
liberation movement. And she always was, but now her role has been heightened because um, of the role that women are taking within the tradition. So I love that we get to visit these ancient, ancient stories and bring something different each time uh, that helps us connect it to what's going on with us today. Yeah. And that's, I mean, in, in a very real sense, spiritual ancestors for some biological ancestors um, as well. And uh, for those in the Christian tradition, you know, we have the um, ritual of communion, which is mm-hmm. a mem- we're remembering, we're remembering literally with our bodies, our spiritual ancestor of Jesus. Yeah. yeah. And so this is, um, you know, it's not of the past. It is right the pa- the, how the past is made alive in us now. Exactly. Um, yeah. I could keep having this conversation forever. I realize we're getting close to time. I want to check in, Katie. Is there anything we didn't get a chance to talk about uh, that you'd like to lift up? I know in particular, we want to talk a little bit about the summit that's coming up. Yeah. Yeah. The summit. I think I, I can't think of anything else profound that I've <laughs> experienced. Experiences. Stones left unturned. So <laughs> was there anything I promised to talk about that I haven't mentioned? I think I've, I think we've covered it all. Yeah. 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 That's right. If that's the case, then we've got a summit coming up May 11th yeah. through 13th that we are organizing through, uh, through your, uh, do you call it a business? Yeah, 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 through, yeah, through my, yeah, through my business, through my, through my coaching practice. And so the summit is called Ancestors, Wisdom, Belonging, and Justice. Yeah, May, um, was it 11th through 13th? Mm-hmm. I don't have the dates right up. Yeah, yep. uh, May 11th uh, through 13th. It'll be, we'll have a fantastic speakers. I'm so excited. We're still getting the lineup. So we'll, we'll just tease that they're fantastic right now and put the link in the show notes so that anyone can go and register. So it's completely free, a free summit. Uh, we have, Shonda will be keynoting. I'll be doing some of this woo-woo, witchy, metaphysical stuff with Yay. ancestors, and uh, the speakers are going to be fantastic. So, anyone who do want, who does want to experience what is the wisdom your ancestors have to offer, um, how can we experience belonging, how can we make the earth better with our ancestors' help, it's the place to be. I cannot wait. Thank you so much, Katie, and really thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. Thank you for the invitation. And it was fun to think about some of the stuff in new ways. Absolutely. Thanks for listening. I hope you found inspiration in this episode for deepening your own connections with ancestors. This has been Shonda Ja. If you haven't had a chance to read my book, Rebels, Despots, and Saints, you can find it at Chalice Media Group or by ordering from your favorite local bookstore. Thanks to Matt Stefano for his fantastic editing skills and to Chalice Media Group for supporting the show. If you don't already have May 11th through 13th in your calendar for the virtual summit on ancestors and activism, what are you waiting for? You can find out more at shondajaw.com. Here's hoping that you find ways to be some of your ancestors' wildest dreams and that you find ways to repair the harm of other ancestors at the same time.